Welcome to the News and Why It Matters. I am Sarah Gonzalez. We are joined by Mr. Kevin Williamson today from National Review. Thank you so much for being here. And um, before we get started, I hear you have a new book coming out. Yeah, it's called The Smallest Minority. It'll come out in the end of July. Mm -hmm. It's about how social media is killing democratic discourse and making everyone stupid and angry. I love it. In a world in which there's a surplus of stupidity and anger already. I love it. It could not come at a, at a better time. Yeah. Uh, all right, Stu, what's your top story? I think I have a great story to illustrate exactly what your book is about uh, today. Uh, it's about whether Honey Nut Cheerios will give you cancer or not. Okay. Mm. All right. Pat? Uh, reparations. Raising that ugly head again. Okay. And uh, Kevin? Joe Biden saying nice things about segregationists and getting himself in hot water. <laughs> okay. Oops. Oh, man, I can't wait for that one. Obviously, a lot to get into. First, we want to thank our sponsor, uh, Relief Factor. So, um, you know, those of us at the table, I think all of us are unfortunately to that age where just things start hurting. <laughs> and you wake up and you're like, I just screwed up my back. Well, how did you do that? Sleeping? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Usually, yes. Yeah. Usually sleeping. Sleeping? I don't know. Um, so try Relief Factor if you are one of many Americans who you just live in constant pain and you just think that you're never going to get out of pain. Maybe you've tried prescription drugs. Uh, maybe you've tried acupuncture, massage, and nothing's working. Uh, Relief Factor is, it is 100% drug-free, uh, much to Stu's, Stu's dismay, mm -hmm. but um, it does work. So uh, it's four key ingredients that fight the, uh, the inflammation in your body, which which, you know, usually is the root cause of your pain. So 70% of the people who try this three-week quick start pack, they go on to keep ordering more. It's working for the majority of people. It can work for you. It's worth a shot to get out of pain. It can change your life. You can go to relieffactor.com, get that three-week quick start pack for $19.95. That's 20 bucks. 20 bucks and the odds are in your favor. I would say that's worth it. Relieffactor.com or you can call 800-500-8384. All right, Stu. Talk to us about Honey Nut Cheerios. First of all, they're delicious. That little bee did a good they job. They are, yeah. Honey Nut Cheerios. Um, so there is a story that came out recently that Honey Nut Cheerios might be giving you cancer. It wasn't just Honey Nut Cheerios. It was all sorts of different cereals because they have this very dangerous ingredient, glyphosate, in it, which comes most likely, you know, everyone talks about it from Roundup. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's been some giant awards for people recently. Uh, a $2 billion award uh, won in California. Mm -hmm. Uh, trying to tie uh, the idea that glyphosate is causing cancer around the country. Um, and it's like, it's one of these things where I think it ties very much into, it's a very social media friendly claim. Like you are feeding your kids these cereals and oh my gosh, these terrible things are going Why to Why are you a bad parent? Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I think in a way, and it's, it's hard to imagine, but the reporting on things like health and food and things like that is actually worse than the political reporting in America. It's actually worse because in a way, at least with re political reporting, you have another party that sits here and says, well, wait a minute, they're wrong. And at least there's a fight. And the media won't cover that fight fairly, in my opinion. But there's not even really another side that pushes back because it's just basically the companies that make the cereal. And they're like, I swear we're not giving kids cancer with our Honey Nut Cheerios. I swear. But who believes them, right? Is so it is it actually an ingredient or is it just something that's there because they used Roundup on the Exactly. Yeah. So it's like residue. It's not an ingredient. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, I hadn't actually heard that yet. Yeah, no, they're actually adding like <laughs> on the side of the box. <laughs> as, 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 fertilizer. Yes. Mm. As one of the only people that I know that has actually had uh, ingested intentionally drinking glyphosate uh, to prove a point, on a show many uh, a while ago, 
it is not a good tasting beverage. I will say they did not make it uh, to taste good. Uh, it's not harmful, but it, it will not taste. It will was not make your drinks it? better. Was that yeah. worth it to you? Yeah. Oh, yes. I love, I, I love it. I love it. But what about when you're like 80 and you have 500 different types of cancers? I won't. And that's the whole point <laughs> of this segment. So uh, there. So th- let me just give you the, the idea of, of, of how they came to these measurements and how ridiculous the story is. Everything is toxic at some level. Mm-hmm. We all know water, water. is toxic yeah. at some level if you drink too much of it. So how much is actually okay to ingest? Well, this is how they, they decided to figure this out. First of all, they start with a species. They're not going to give it to normal people to test, right? They give it to a species that is actually much more likely to ingest, to develop cancer over this mice. Okay, they give it to mice. So they figure out what is the absolute minimum level of potential harm in mice. And that comes out to roughly 140,000 milligrams a day. Okay. <laughs> Now, now, <laughs> more than a mouse weighs. Oh, right? right. yes. thousand milligrams a day. Okay, so okay. now that's for an adult mouse, I guess. So they lower it by about eighty percent to get a reference dose for children. Okay, so thirty thousand milligrams a day would be. There's a potential for starting harm at, at that level. Then they divide it by ten. Okay, so just thirty thousand is the minimum. We're going to divide that by ten. And why do they divide it by ten? Well, because Where does that, come from? that comes to the next step, which where they divide it by a hundred again for safety. <laughs> What? To get you to 30 milligrams a day, and that is what the EPA says is, is okay and completely wow. safe for a human. 30 milligrams a day for children to ingest. Now, California we have, right? And we all know what California does with EPA standards, right? They make them much more stringent. Mm-hmm. So they decided to take the 30 milligrams a day and reduce it by 97%. <laughs> okay, so they are allowing 1.1 milligrams a day of glyphosate. Okay, so what does this all mean? Now, this is, this is what you would have to do to get glyphosate at 1.1 milligrams a day, according to this study uh, with Honey Nut Cheerios. Now, before we even get to this number, wow. we should note that this is an environmental group that came up with a study. Mm-hmm. It is not a peer-reviewed study. They did not release their methods, and they did not release any of their data. Okay. So they just gave you this sort of like, this is how much we say is in Honey Nut Cheerios, okay? <laughs> to get to that level that California says is safe for children, you would have to eat 80 bowls of Honey Nut Cheerios <laughs> Every single day. Don't act like you've not done that, Stu. I'm hungry. Don't act like you've not done that. (laughs) Now, how long? Every day for 80 years. Okay. (laughs) For 80 years. And that would give you a 1 in 10,000 chance of harm. A 0.0001% chance of harm. Still on there, though. It is on there. So I can't (laughs) deny there is a risk here. But you would have plenty of fiber. Exactly. You would be. (laughs) (laughs) Now, there is another asterisk I will give here. That is the child level. So you'd have to remain a child for all 80 years. Oh. And I don't know exactly how to do that. Maybe that much Honey Nut Cheerios will do it. I don't know. But I mean, again, like this is the type of thing that gets shared on social media. It's Pinterest science, right? And it's like these things are all the stuff that we talk about. The politics are really important. But like there are parents out there that are avoiding giving their kids Honey Nut Cheerios because they went on Pinterest or, or Twitter and they see this claim and they're terrified that they're going to feed their kids cancer. They're scaring the living hell out of parents all over the country over absolutely nothing. And the fact that this stuff, I mean, do we have the headlines? I don't even think I'd call for the headlines. Look at the headlines for these stories. I mean, breakfast cereals contaminated by weed killer, uh, cereal positive for trace amounts of weed killer, uh, uh, Nature Valley cereals contain Roundup ingredient. Like, I mean, they go on and on. Your cereal are contaminated. Like, there is no reason to believe 
this analysis and it's so terrible. It makes you like pine for like f- the fair coverage that re- Republican conservatives, uh, <laughs> you know, receive on t- on tax policy. It's 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 really terrible. But you know, again, part- the the level was thirty thousand milligrams, right? For 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 uh, to be harmful to well, to actually right, cause yeah, cancer minimum. in the mice per, per day, and that per still day, is a small chance. Thousand yeah. milligrams, and then for whatever reason, you know, just to make it safe, safe. for humans, they might yeah. undercut it. They right? just divide it by a bunch, yeah. and they get to one point one. So I mean, even I mean, that to, would even be that, completely right. ridiculous, impossible to to actually affect you. Even Amazing. That, that's just the beginning of any. Even chewed on the dead weeds outside my house, you might get more than that. <laughs> Maybe there's some fairly fresh roundup on those. I think. But it's funny, you know, we live in a world in which uh, we've got this large camp of people who are always talking about how much they love science, uh, but so much of what we're actually, you know, dealing with, even in public policy, is this preposterous uh, pseudoscientific stuff. Uh, for instance, when the Affordable Care Act was first being debated, I wrote about how certain provisions of it would um, open up the way for coverage for things that are completely pseudoscience, like aromatherapy and... Uh, a, a lot of people of don't know this, but there's, there's no scientific evidence that chiropractic does anything, mm. um, or at least anything that, like, having your wife give you a back rub wouldn't also do. <laughs> Which is and, nice, by the way. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, we actually recognize these things through public policy. And, um, but on the other side, you've got the things where people are just terrified of things that aren't really things to be terrified of, like genetically modified organism crops and things like that. So while we're all talking about how much we love science, there's actually quite a bit of it out there that um, gets ignored for purely cultural and uh, political reasons. There was a woman writing in the Washington Post the other day about how, you know, People on the right don't uh, don't value science enough, and I thought, yeah, turn the page in your newspaper and read the horoscopes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a superstitious world out there. It is, and I think it's look, it's completely okay if you want to avoid these things. People have different preferences, and it, but like, it's the media's job, in theory, right, to try to distill this and and give give people a perspective of what it actually means, you know. But like, as we all know, you know, like you want to get clicks, you want to get tweets, you want to get all these shares. You have to make these loud, sort of terrifying comments. And it's why, you know, if something, you know, like whatever you think about global warming, let's say it's completely like the, the worst case scenarios are all true. There's no way to communicate that to half the country because they, they see you telling these, these stories over and over again that feel that they have no trust built up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you go down these roads of, 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 of doing, especially reporting on science, that is so terrible mm-hmm. so often uh, that, you know, it, it just basically wipes out, I think, any credibility you'd have to convince people of something that's actually important. Yeah. Uh, Pat, I want to move on to reparations. Thank God we mm. are finally talking again about mm. reparations. Finally. Finally. Because mm-hmm. it's been a few years yeah. since this has come up, and we completely discounted it because mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. Because <laughs> we're not the ones who perpetrated the crime, and nobody that the crime happened to is alive today. Um, and usually we arrive at that at that conclusion, mm-hmm. and then we move on again. And then it'll come up again a few years later, and then we'll say, well, wait. Everybody who was involved died 160 years ago, <laughs> and so did the people who did it. Uh, so we move on. But this time, I don't know, we're, we're kind of uh, down the road a ways of extremism and radicalism. And they're actually doing a hearing now and trying to uh, pass a bill about that, w- that would start the process of reparations. They still don't know who's going to pay, how much is involved, who do the payments go to? What kind of parameters do you set for who receives the money? 
Do, you, do all black people, do, for instance, Caribbean blacks receive it who weren't involved in slavery? Um, or is it just people who have ancestry from Africa? Um, but uh, um, Sheila Jackson Lee, who is a representative from, from Houston. Um, she's fantastic. She's fantastic. Yeah. She's awesome. <laughs> and she showed a lot of that yesterday. Here she is talking about, uh, about reparations. We even welcome the diversity of thought among the multicolored chocolate people mm -hmm. that are African Americans, <laughs> descendants of African slaves. Right. Let me be very clear. Okay. It is only this group, even though they attempted to enslave Native Americans, it is only this group it's only this one. that can singularly, 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 claim to have been slaves singularly? under the auspices, the institution, and leadership of the United States government. Okay, huh? I have no idea. But here's something I rarely say in life: <laughs> is that Sheila Jackson Lee has a point. Oh yeah, which is what was she chocolate, saying? Not that the chocolate people, the, more than the chocolatey people. Yeah, that's uh, that was It's kind of an old rhetoric. Uh, like DC used to talk that way, call itself chocolate city, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but she did say there that these things should be limited to people who are actually the descendants of slaves. Yeah. So if you're going to make an argument for yeah. that, that's that's that should be part of it because there are a lot of Black people in the United States are a lot of people of African origin in the United States who are not the descendants of slaves. Right. Um, in fact, I believe last time I read, Nigerian Americans are the single uh, wealthiest uh, group in the United States, the single wealthiest demographic group. Uh, they're not very large, of course, and you know, they're 80% mm -hmm. doctors or something like that. Um, but if you're just talking about people of African origin, Elon Musk is of African origin. <laughs> I don't think he's going to uh, he's going to qualify for reparations. Mm. Right. Right, but but the multicolored chocolate people, will, <laughs> they, they will, they will. <laughs> I, I I feel like every time we go down this re reparations road, like there's obviously a point there where like you know there was a time where that may have been very appropriate, uh, you know, when it, after slavery mm -hmm. ascended. Yes. But when you come down to actually yes. trying to design this policy, like if you're actually legitimately putting this into effect, it's so clearly impossible, right, like to do. I mean, what was it? About a third of white people in the South had slaves, right? So, like, I mean, you're talking, do the descendants of other white people who didn't have slaves pay this back? I mean, do people who, uh, you know, uh, you go through this whole, like, litany of, of ways you try to break this down, and of course, like, I don't think there's a constitutional way of taxing white people to pay black people. Like, that can't I mean, because it certainly would have been done to tax black people to, to pay white people in other eras when they thought that was just. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's a terrible precedent to be set anyway. You should not be taxing a color. And so it feels like the end game here, how does this all shake out? Let's just say they were able to actually go through with a policy of reparations. It would just wind up being taking money from people they thought benefited wealthy people, including wealthy blacks who, had, who now have lots of money. And they would wind up giving it to poorer people who are underprivileged who have been punished, like including poorer whites. And so it would just be yet another redistribution plan with just a, a different justification sort of slapped on top of it. Yeah, yeah. this is almost impossible to work. It's, it's impossible to work. Um, and, and sometimes the defense is, well, others have received uh, reparations. For instance, Japanese Americans. Mm -hmm. But you gave, that that went, and that was $20,000 mm -hmm. per family. But that went to people who were actually yeah. interred yeah. and yeah. were still alive. Mm -hmm. It went to those families. Now, you, you have no one like that now. It's just been too long. 
But like you said, Stu, if they if had they done reparations right after slavery, you could kind of understand. Oh yeah, for sure. One of the other problems with this, I think, it keeps us from talking about better policies. I mean, there are a lot of things that are wrong in African-American communities mm -hmm. that are at least in part uh, the legacy of slavery, Jim Crow, and all the rest of it. You yeah. know, 1964 was not that long ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 1968 was not that long ago, and they're still living with the consequences of the policies that were pursued during that time. Uh, there are a lot of things that could and probably should be done um, to try to mitigate some of those effects, but reparations is such a ridiculous sort of pie in the sky, mm -hmm. um, unworkable, and, and probably unjust a way of going about that, that we're going to spend a lot of energy talking about this instead of instead of the other. It's a little like the Green New Deal shenanigans, where there are a lot of things we actually could do to uh, make uh, energy production less carbon intensive. Uh, but reworking the entire global economy <laughs> under the guidance of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is not one of them. <laughs> no? No. All right. Back in a minute. I also don't think it's doing them any favors, just, you know, letting them know they're a victim today. Before we uh, get back into the conversation, I want to thank our sponsor, realestateagentsitrust.com. So it turns out that uh, your father's sister's cousin's uh, dog walker's grandmother is not probably the best person to get your house from. Is that going to shock anyone? Are you shocked? Mm. She did a great job for me. Okay. <laughs> did she? I was kind of lucky. Yeah. Um, but where you do want to go is uh, realestateagentsitrust.com. So Glenn formed this team. Um, you know, they these guys are in radio. They move around all the time. So they were noticing what uh, all of the top real estate agents had in common and uh, what all the crappy ones also had in common. And so they have this team that they actually go out and vet the top real estate agents all across the country um, to make sure that they're doing this full time. They are the top real estate agents in that particular area. They know what they're doing. They're going to get you um, the, the best value. And they know where the areas are that your family is going to be happy, where your family is going to be safe because they share your values. Um, so if you are looking to buy or sell, no pressure. It's just the biggest investment you're ever going to make in your life. Uh, so you probably want to go to realestateagentsitrust.com. They have one in your area. They're all over the country. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Uh, Kevin, mm. let's talk about Joe Biden. If we have to. We do. We do have <laughs> yeah. to. We, we always on the show talk about, well, there's still time. You know, he's very uh, gaff prone. There's still plenty of time for him to ruin his uh, his run. Which I think he will. I don't think Joe Biden's going to be the nominee, just really? to, for the record. I don't. I think he is um, old. I think, And I don't say this to be cruel. I think he's just not really entirely there anymore. I've sort mm -hmm. of seen him off camera, and he's like this sort of slightly confused old man. Mm -hmm. um, he still does pretty good when you put him in front of a, a lectern or something. But um, I do not think that Joe Biden will be their nominee. And a lot of Democrats don't want him for various reasons. One of those is the politics of cooties, which is that um, <laughs> Biden, because he's been in the Senate since, I think since I was born. He was, was he elected in 72? I heard Maybe it was, we've seen the House first, I can't remember. Anyway, he's been in politics basically all my life, and I'm not that young. Um, <laughs> he knew a lot of Democratic segregationists back in the day. And he was giving a talk about how it used to be in our politics that there was a level of comedy and cooperation, and that even if you disagreed deeply and morally with someone, that you didn't have to hate them personally. And he name-checked a couple of segregationists, I guess Talmadge and Eastland, um, who are you know, names that will go down in the history books that you know, aren't really so much talked about anymore right now. 
And there was a storm of controversy afterward of, you know, these sort of callow 25-year-old social justice warrior Democrat types saying, well, how could you say nice things about these people? How could you have been friends with them and gone to dinner and uh, treated them like, you know, decent human beings? And well, Biden was like, well, I disagreed with them and I argued with them and I, you know, I, I, I argued like heck with them. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, you're not just going to hate people and refuse to work with them uh, because you have different ideas about things that are, including things that are morally important. So Joe Biden, oddly enough, had a point. There's two people that I have said that about that I don't normally say that about. Um, one of the most important questions in politics that never gets asked is compared to what? So if you're Joe Biden, you're in the Senate in the 1970s, 1980s, you've got a couple of these old, cute uh, Democratic segregationists in there. Well, you can either work with them and try to get stuff done while disagreeing with them and trying to change their mind about the things they're wrong about, or what? Um, mm -hmm. Well, uh, do nothing, resign, mm -hmm. uh, refuse to speak to them. Um, and, and where do we draw the line on that? Because, you know, there are people who care a lot about, say, abortion. Um, do we not talk to people who disagree with us on abortion? Can we not co-sponsor a tax bill with them right. or something like that? Um, and that's kind of where we're at right now, that there's this idea that if you don't vocally hate the people on the other side, then you're infected with whatever it is they're infected with. And that is what I call the politics of cooties. <laughs> <laughs> it's another book, I think. I think it Politics is. of Cooties is the next book. Yeah, uh, close to that, actually. There's actually a lot of Politics of Cooties in the book, yeah. yeah. Well, and it is interesting because he is getting hit from his own side on this. What right. uh, yeah. John King on CNN called him stupid, well, called oh. the comments stupid. Yeah, oh, right. um, Kamala, the, yeah, go Kamala ahead. Yeah, Kamala did it as well. Uh, the way they're covering Joe Biden, because I'm kind of with you on this, I, I feel like he's not going to make it. He is too gaff prone. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of people who we haven't had one debate yet. The idea that he's leading the polls shouldn't be that determinative. But I, I think the interesting part about it is the media is not giving him favorable coverage. They're not giving yeah. him the excuses. They're not saying, well, what he meant was they are just destroying him over and over again. He almost he's being treated like he's a Republican is basically <laughs> yeah. the way it is. And it's like that. That doesn't. They, they did a lot of that to Hillary too. I mean, last sure. time. Um, and uh, I mean, once she got the nomination, they were a little bit kinder. But they don't she was, want the old guard. Yeah, they don't. Mm -hmm. They don't. They want, yeah, they, they want something new. They want somebody new and really extreme and radical. And they might get one. Mm. What, get one. what about his, because I read his comments, what about, um, he said something to the effect of, you know, I was speaking to him and he didn't call me boy, he that called me weird. son. Mm -hmm. Because I guess uh, this guy frequently referred to African Americans as, mm. as boy. Yeah. And it was like kind of he was making a joke, I think, that, well, he, d he didn't call me boy. Yeah. He just called me son. Do you think people should take issue with that? Well, there's a lot of stuff on the on the racial business that you should take issue mm -hmm. with on Biden. You know, his infamous thing of speaking to a black audience and affecting a kind of southern accent and talking about Republicans and saying they want to put y'all back in chains and yeah. that sort of thing. That stuff is ridiculous and he should be embarrassed by it. Um, but what he shouldn't be embarrassed by is the idea that... Um, in politics, you work with people who you disagree with on things, including people you disagree with on things that are very important. Um, that shouldn't be a particularly controversial idea. It is right now because um, everyone under 30 in, the, in America right now is just mentally challenged in some way. And, uh, um, you know, they, are, they, they have sort of you know, normal kind of level of function if you give them a, an SAT test or something like that. But um, they've got problems making connections between sort of normal rational outcomes. And there is this uh, really overwhelming uh, sense that outrage is what makes you a legitimate and authentic person. And so outrage is kind of the addiction of the moment. And it's uh, really shaped the way people are thinking about things. And Joe Biden is too old to really uh, benefit from that. Kamala Harris is not. Mm. And uh, Elizabeth Warren is not. 
All right, back in a minute. And when Elizabeth warns the spring chicken. Uh, All right, we've got about a minute here. You know, Kevin, you said that you don't think that Biden will be the nominee. Who do you think it's going to be? Uh, If I had to guess, I would say I think there's a good chance that Elizabeth Warren gets it. Uh, The one I would worry the most about if I were Donald Trump or someone who cared about seeing him reelected would be Kamala Harris. Mm, Yes. So you think Kamala would... I think she's smarter, more in the debate. Well, I think she's smarter than Warren. I think she's more ruthless. Mm -hmm. I think she's more of a politician and Mm -hmm. she wants it more. I think I've I've, I've seen Warren campaign. She's a terrible campaigner. Uh, She's pretty stiff. She's pretty cold. And um, and she's not as smart as she thinks she is. She is is Native American, though. She is Native American. (laughs) I forgot that. I do think we learn a lot about Harris over the next uh, couple months with these debates. This should be a strength for her. Right. Like a prosecutor. Mm -hmm. Like that, that I think should be something that she should be able to do really well. She should be Mm -hmm. able to really shine there. And if she can't, you know, you wonder if she's going to make her move. I, I've been pretty bullish on her from the beginning, and, I, you know, it hasn't quite caught fire yet. It'll be interesting to see if she can do it. I think Seth Moulton's the guy. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah I do. Really? Wow. Yeah. Well, which, but it's based on... He's going to surprise people. Based on... He's going to surprise the intuition. Oh, okay. Up next, enjoy bonus overtime content from the news and why it matters. Available exclusively for podcast listeners and Blaze TV subscribers. Not a subscriber? Start your free trial at blazetv.com. All right. So a couple days ago, we talked about AOC's comments about concentration camps and that very clearly what's going on on the border, the detainment facilities are obviously concentration camps, um, especially, you know, uh, closely resembling the Nazi concentration camps, which we know, by the way, she used the term never again, right? She mm-hmm. used the Holocaust term. So everyone's mm-hmm. saying she wasn't talking about Nazi Germany. <laughs> OK, well, yes, she was. Read a book. Um, so <laughs> it's interesting to see the way that the left is handling this because, you know, we talk a lot about the old breed of the Democrat Party and the new breed, you know, coming in with uh, AOC and Tlaib and Omar. Um, Chuck Todd had a really interesting, uh, really interesting take on her comments. Watch. If you want to criticize the shameful treatment of people at our southern border, fine. You'll have plenty of company, but be careful comparing them to Nazi concentration camps because they're not at all comparable in the slightest. But here's where it's uh, upsetting as her comment. Some Democrats have been reluctant to condemn her remarks. They don't want to get criticized on Twitter. Fellow New York Congressman Jerry Nadler tweeted in response, one of the lessons from the Holocaust is never again. We fail to learn that lesson when we don't call out such inhumanity right in front of us. Jerry Nadler surely knows migrant detainment camps are not the same as concentration camps. So why didn't he just say that? Why are we so sheepish calling out people we agree with politically these days? Obviously, this isn't a Democratic Party thing. It's an even bigger problem on the Republican side of the aisle when it comes to President Trump and the reluctance there. Are we really so ensconced in our political bubbles, liberal versus conservative, that we cannot talk about right versus wrong anymore? Some things are bigger than partisanship, or at least they used to be. Mm. Okay. So interesting things to say. He, of course, said that it was, you know, he criticized her for for doing that. Right. And now he's getting lit up by the left and and social media because he's not supposed to be criticizing. Um, So I reemphasize that I've just written a book about this subject. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Please. please, please (laughs) And it is called. 
The smallest minority. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Available I, now on Amazon. Pre-order it. Nice. Very cool. Yes. I think, you know, it's one of those things where I think um, I'm at the point, and I don't know, maybe we're not making too much of a statement because I know the, the four people at this table were, have done a lot of what Chuck Dodd has done with people on the right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, I find it so important at this point that if I don't get that out of you occasionally, mm-hmm. it's not even worth listening to your opinion. Like, I have to get that out of you occasionally. You know, Chuck Dodd, I mean, I, it's not my favorite guy in the media by any means. But it does, if you will at least occasionally say, you know what, my side has a major problem right here and here's what it is. At least it gives you some level of credibility. Um, I, there's so many people out there now that I think walk that line so, so stringently. They never criticize their own side. They're always looking for the excuse. I mean, you know, I, we've talked about this a little bit before in that, like, there's a, there's a lot of similarities between the way people on the left defend Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the way people on the right defend Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of this sort of yeah. retroactive reasoning. What he really probably meant was this. You know, you, you can't blame it. Like, that's... A, a very unhealthy thing, I think, for both sides. Uh, and both sides do it. I mean, he said it's worse on the Republicans. Maybe it is. I, but I don't think so. Maybe it's equal. Yeah. Uh, I wrote a little essay for National Review about this a couple of days ago. It's a weird case of moral relativism meeting moral absolutism, where you get this argument, well, maybe our side isn't perfect, but the other side is so evil that we all have to stick together. Mm-hmm. And now this is an absolute moral imperative that we all have to stick to all the time, no exceptions. Yeah. And this is going to be our you know, fundamental guideline is that whatever we do, the other side is evil, and so we're not going to say too much about our own. <sighs> Um, you know, Stu, you're talking about people refusing to call out their own side. Um, Pelosi pretty much did that when she was asked about AOC's comments. Here's what she had to say. These members of Congress are, they come and represent their district and their point of view. And they take responsibility uh, for the statements that they make. I'm not up to date on her most recent one. I saw something in the news, but I, um, no, I haven't spoken to her about that. I do have some... Uh, comments to make to my caucus writ large about the political nature of uh, how politically charged the atmosphere is. So understand uh, that while the Republicans have no interest in holding the president accountable for his words, they will misrepresent anything that you say just if you have one word in the sentence that they can exploit. So mm. Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi have great hair, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, how kind of you to yeah. find something nice to say wow. about Nancy well, Pelosi after that clip? Well, she's clueless otherwise. <laughs> she's got a heck of a hairdresser. I, well, I, I mean, the Pelosi and Cortez relationship is interesting to me because she goes out and does interviews where she says a glass of water could have gotten elected in her district. Mm. But now she knows when she's supposed to, you know, defend and, uh, you know, uh, just at all costs not admit to any wrongdoing because she says she wasn't up to date yeah. on the comments. Yeah. She hasn't. Yeah. She, she didn't know. She has no idea. She made comments about what? I'm not sure. I mean, obviously she knows oh, of course she what does. the comments were. It's got to be infuriating for her, I think, just that Ocasio-Cortez so, mm-hmm. do, do, you know, dominates. I mean, we, I was, we were talking about this. I think I brought this up on this she show. She runs the party. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. talked about this. With AOC a, runs the party. It was a Republican pollster who said, yeah. who were there, this interview with a, with a Republican pollster, and they said, they asked, you know, group after group after group of voters, like, who, ident- who do you identify as the 
you know, Democratic Party right now? What person? And it was overwhelmingly Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Mm-hmm. It's like this person was like a bartender a couple yeah. of years ago and, and doesn't seem to know anything about any of the topics we're talking about. Until, like, like how a bill becomes a law. Right. They have like basic <laughs> things you should probably know as a congressperson. She needs some schoolhouse rock in her life. Yeah, <laughs> she does. The yeah, funny thing about Nancy Pelosi is, you know, she holds office from California, but she's from Baltimore. You know, and her background from her family, she's from this, you know, old fashioned city machine politics mm. where you, you wait your turn, you run stuff past the leadership, you do what you're told. And it's very different from this, you know, snap judgment, social media, uh, instant politics that we're in right now. And I don't think she's very well suited to, um, to handling it. And I think if you, um, if you put it to a vote of people who are registered Democrats, not just people who are in Congress, I think AOC would outperform her. Uh, if they were looking, if they were looking to elect a party leader, mm. and isn't that interesting that a socialist, essentially, mm-hmm. a, at least in perception, leads the Democrat Party, um, and but it's the Republicans who are so extreme that we yeah. hear about all the time. <laughs> Look how far right that party has gone. When seriously, the Democrats are now socialists and communists, and some of them admittedly so. <laughs> it's. It's amazing. It's incredible. I mean, Ocasio-Cortez is a gift in many ways to the Republican Party. I mean, Republicans... As long as... How long did Republicans try to say, hey, Democrats are socialists. We promise you, they are, they are, they are. And she's like, yeah, we kind of are. And (laughs) now she's leading the party. It's it's amazing. If you can't win in this this sort of, uh, you know, this climate where, like, all these things you've been accusing the other side of for all this time now are admitted by that side and defended by that side, then we're done. It's yeah. funny how fast the ideology moves. There was an article in the New York Times, I think yesterday, about the current state of affairs in Brazil, and the reporter wrote, just as though it were an unremarkable sentence, that it went from socialist prosperity to chaos. And short, oh, really? Socialist prosperity? Yeah. Is, that, <laughs> is that what Brazil was experiencing? Oh, hmm. oh fascinating. Uh, you know, Stu, you're talking about how it's weird that we've come uh, so far now in 2019. We've got all of these socialists. I, I think that we know a guy who in 2010 said something that is really coming true. Watch. The radicals reveal themselves. They'll become unafraid. Who is that guy? I told you this. (laughs) He's very skinny. And I believe I set this up with something along the lines of, look out, because we'll be in trouble when the mask starts to come off. I told you about a year Mm. ago that as it would come unraveled, the radicals would start revealing themselves. Watch. I think these people are close. I think they're to tell us what the real agenda is. I think they're close to taking the mask off. It's like a mirror in a mirror. It okay. is. Got it? Yeah, I mean, he said that. That was Inception, I feel. Yeah, it was. The Inception yeah. of <laughs> the, the top just stopped spinning. It's still standing up. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's amazing because that was one of the things he did talk about quite a bit at that mm-hmm. period was that eventually they'll just be like, all right, look, look this capitalism thing is obviously not working. And that's and where they all are. admit it. Yep. And that's it. that is where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing. Um, all right, so before we move on from border talk, because anyway, we got here talking about concentration camps, um, the coverage that, that CNN has is just I'm sorry to all of you out here to make you probably just either vomit or hit the ceiling from your blood pressure. But uh, CNN's Angela Rye had something really, really insightful to say about the real problem going on at the border watch. 
I am telling you that we are irresponsible at this point, that whether we call them concentration camps or not, her point remains. And the right is threatened by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mm. because she tells the truth whether they can digest it or not. And our bottom line here is there is an inhumane crisis happening at the this southern border. And it is because of how these people look. It is because of difference. It is because there is a fear that white people are losing their power in this country. <laughs> that is the do. bottom line. It is white fear. That is what is driving driving this it is racism okay. at its core are you so i just want to take a quick poll at the table do you are you driven by fear since you're white that you're going to lose power in this country <laughs> largely <laughs> not entirely i'm also scared of honey nut cheerios okay but, uh other than that it's mostly just being white and losing my power pat uh yes i'm i'm, I'm deathly afraid nightmares yes mm. okay kevin well, I'm at Hart and Eisenhower Republicans, so it's been a long time since anyone like me has had any power. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's that's what the argument is reduced to now. Ridiculous. It's just racism, and mm. not I mean, just Republicans. I don't think it's just Republicans who want border security. No, I mean, Democrats used to be the ones on the on the front lines fighting this. I mean, go back and watch those like Harry Reid speeches from the early '90s. Remember, we were oh, watching those at one point, Pat. Yeah. They're incredible. They, they sound like they sound yeah. like us. Yeah. Yes. It's out of Bernie Sanders running for president last time around, giving speeches in union halls about how open borders are a billionaire's conspiracy to undercut the American working class and yeah. all that stuff. Wow. Just last time? Yeah, I was there. Wow. I, was, I was there in Iowa watching wow. him uh, do it. Amazing. Jeez. And in a union hall that had a sign outside that said foreign-made cars have to park in the back. Wow. <laughs> Which is hard for these Subaru-driving Bernie bros. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I drive a Subaru, so. I won't <laughs> and take you're offense. a Bernie bro. <laughs> I won't take offense to your comment. <laughs> you're a great comment. <laughs> uh, yesterday's poll, what did you think of President Trump's rally last night, which was, of course, his first rally? 69% uh, of you said fantastic. 8% said good. 2% said meh. 21% didn't watch. There wasn't really an option for bad, was there? They didn't even give them an <laughs> option. Guess, like, no. yeah. Meh, uh, is yeah. as far as we're willing <laughs> to go Hardcore on coverage that, on that one. Yeah, meh, meh. I mean, look, it was every other rally he's ever done. That's exactly what it was. So if you mm -hmm. like those rallies, if you've, liked, if you've seen that movie and you really like it again, to see it again, you're going to like those things. But I mean, I, even if you like a lot of the policies of Trump at this point, the rallies have got to be tiring. Uh, oh, so I disagree. I think he got into it for the rallies. Oh, I th no, I'm yeah. not saying for him. I'm saying for us. Oh, for us. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I, just, like, I can't see another one. Yeah. Yes, you're right. I think that's all he cares about. The media fight and the rallies. He loves those two. Yeah, give that guy a rally every day oh, yeah. and uh, Twitter at night and he would be a happy, happy president, I think. I just wonder what is he going to, what, what are going to be the chants now? Because it was lock her up before. <laughs> I think they're just going to keep the same they're ones. They're not. You think, I think they're so. not, they're I, just going to recycle. They did it. They, at that rally, they did lock her up. Did they really? Oh, no way. Yeah, they did. Oh, CNN sucks. Uh, they did CNN sucks. They did USA. And, and CNN then, cut away from yes. the rally when they did yes. CNN. Yes. Yeah, and if yeah. the Democrats do nominate Elizabeth Warren, they can still chant lock her up, right? They'll think of some reason. Uh, to yeah. That's right. That's important. They'd have to be a female. It has to be a female. Build the wall, I feel, might be. Build the wall. I mean, it w it, I guess it wouldn't be awkward because he's trying to he's trying oh, he's, to do it i mean the argument of course would be why why didn't he try before right well and he said he said he's going to have 400 miles built by the end of next year was what he said in the speech which is which like that all of it all used of it to be this year yep and, and now it's next year already yeah. and all of it by the way is is wall in the place of where there was already a barrier 
Yeah. Right. So it's like, I don't count that. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's either. zero miles to I me. I thought we were talking about New Wall, and I think everybody thought that, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Turns yeah. out this is not the uh, skating ring at Central Park. It's no. a whole, uh, whole different right. kind of thing. If you, if you yeah, look different. at the actual like details of all of this, it might get awkward to chant, but I feel like mm-hmm. it's still going to be out there. It will still be chanted. It's still going to be out there. Uh, today's poll, should AOC apologize for her comments? comparing ICE detention facilities to Nazi concentration camps. She will not. She, yeah, she, she's I mean, already she, said she's not going to. But yeah, well. She should, though. She should, of course, but it's like, is it even worth discussing? She's not going to. <laughs> right. Right? So whether no. or not she should really doesn't matter when the fact of the matter is she is just not going to. I mean, you have, when, you, when you have like the actual Auschwitz account uh, coming out and criticizing you. That is like... Uh, that's a problem. I mean, uh, that's hard to There's withstand. There's an Auschwitz Twitter account? I think there is. There's an actual Auschwitz... May, they may have made it in a statement that got retweeted okay. as possible by someone else, but they made a statement saying like, uh, yeah, no, you need to like... They're mm-hmm. different. What you're talking about is different than what we had here. <laughs> a lot worse. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Minor details. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know what you think at The Blaze's Twitter. That is at The Blaze. Kevin, thank you for being here. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and we will see you guys tomorrow. She should have called it a gulag. Uh, you know, she's got experience over yes. there. There go. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the News and Why It Matters. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to watch the program, become a Blaze TV subscriber and start your free trial now at blazetv.com.